This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by the Finish Line Script Competition. In its sixth year, the Finish Line Script Competition is the only script competition run by ex-literary managers. Six-plus pages of actionable development notes are available to you, or you can submit your script as is. Scripts can be rewritten and resubmitted for free anytime throughout the competition. Over 40 mentors read and meet with the winners, and the competition staff itself works with many semifinalists on getting their material read throughout the industry. They are here to help writers succeed by improving your script along the way and making sure you get opportunities when your material is ready. So check out what's happening at finishlinescriptcomp.com, now open for submissions. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds got no time for no caca Sass in class, yes that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, y'all? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. Crossing my fingers Crossing my fingers. <laughs> On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. You hear the voices? Yes. Lisa Bolakaja is in the yes. building. Yes. Chris Derrick's in the building. Yes. What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? I know, man. It's I, I, been a minute since I've been on, but I'm... Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm you ain't got no job. You ain't I doing... Mean, you know... No. <laughs> hey, you know, got my second COVID shot. So I was doing well. Really? And my sister got our shot, second shot. My sister got knocked out the second day, and she did better. I'm feeling it now, even though it's been a, it's been like about two 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 days ago. Right. So it's kind of like that weird kind of like, okay, it's good. You know, the whole arm thing. And I was cool with that. No biggie. But I do admit this, though. The arm did hurt a little extra the second time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't see And Yeah. And so, you know, I was trying to do all the stuff they were telling people to do. Like, laying up. It's like, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a little, mm-hmm. little hurty little right there. But, you know, it, it was all good. <laughs> and then afterwards, you know, I went and got some stuff. And I remember, you know, I went to Trader Joe's. and got my lemon cookie candle that I always get. The problem mm-hmm. is, people, side note. These smell so good that it reminds me of the Girl Scout cookies, the lemon Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> you would. So I was sitting there like, damn it, why do I do this? I get these wonderful smelling candles. And then I think I have that thing. What is it called? Is it synesthesia? Something where you can smell and taste the smell? Yeah. Sometimes you can see yes. stuff. So I was having a moment where I could taste the candle. But thank God I went to a store and they actually had the lemon ice cookies. So I was able you would. to have my scent and my taste and my tactile. So I covered all the five senses this week. And last thing, Chris and uh, uh, Hilliard, do you guys still have your, um, I just put it, do you still have your Westworld pen? Remember the Westworld pen? Oh, yeah, yeah, somewhere. I, 
I didn't realize, mind you, I didn't realize that. Okay, just so you guys know, was it two years ago? Yeah, we went to three. Three years ago. Was it three years ago? I was invited to do this panel on Westworld when the show first came out to talk about it. Because they sent us like the first four episodes and I got invited in because I was doing some critical stuff with film. And they had a nice little gift bag. But I didn't realize the pen was This light, I swear to God, I haven't used this pen for six months. This bitch did not come on. And do I tell you, I almost crapped myself when I was using it to write in my journal. Mm. And I just thought, you know, if I had some magical powers and this bitch popped on with the light. (laughs) (laughs) And for a moment, I just thought to myself, five million dollars. And then nothing happened. And I thought, okay, this is not magic. (laughs) The light finally started working. So I'm just wondering if your light came on or what. I just had like a dirty pen. After three three years, it finally came on. I I, I mean, and maybe that was more than three years ago. Maybe it was four years ago. But I think it was like, it was like the season one. It was like the worst thing. If I would have had, if I would have had this as a kid, <clears throat> writing in my journal at night oh my god my mother would have gone insane Can you i'd light up pen and it writes on your journal like i had no idea so three years <laughs> this thing popped on and i'm it's like so easy Lisa. I'm so, you know what? it's just me you know i'm a child of the 70s we yes, you know before all the technology came in i was the last you guys too the last that generation where things mm-hmm. were really magical and new tech was coming in and every and now it's like new tech comes every three days and it's not even magical anymore it's like eh 5.3. But in the olden days, kitties, <laughs> we had real magic. Like, we didn't have cell phones. Like, when our parents let us go out in the world, they prayed we came back alive. They couldn't check on us. <laughs> and if that street light came on and you weren't back, that's, that's it. That's, you know, stuff happens. Just, way, that was your ass. Lisa, you that's back, that's you know? Matt just asked, what's the street light? He don't have those in where he's from. What? They don't have, have street he's light? too young. He's too young. He doesn't know what Me? Yes. Thank you for telling me I'm young. We had streetlights. No, our block. There were streetlights. Somewhere. Okay. 1920, Matt. You ain't been Anywho, anywho, I'll shut up. I was just excited about that. I got my cookies. I got my 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 Trader Joe's lemonade, and um, I got my second shot. So I'm feeling I'm feeling okay. Yeah, well, great. I could tell you a funny tech story. Like right, when yeah. I was at when I was at college, um, freshman year, we went to see the Wizard of Oz at the one of the halls, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there watching the Wizard of Oz, and everything was like you know normal, great, and then all of a sudden, it that part when it, everything goes into color, I gasped because I had <laughs> never seen that before. Listen. Like, I, grew, I grew up with black and white TV yes! in my house. I had no idea that that, that Wizard of Oz turned color. And no, my no, friends, don't feel bad. All don't these like off. rich people who went to yes. Cornell. I was not one of the rich ones, and <laughs> I only could have a black and white TV. And I shopped at the Goodwill, but they were all sitting around me, like, "What do you mean you didn't know it went into color?" They were like trying to shame me because I didn't know it went into color. I'm like, I had no idea. Like color TV back in the day was like a real high end luxury, and I feel you because it wasn't until like years later that. We had finally got a color TV and the same reaction at home. It was like, y'all mean to tell me this movie, you know, it's just like me and Black Orpheus. Like, I didn't know the original was like in oh, color. Wow, and wow. so when I was watching on TV back in the late 70s, it was like, I thought the movie was always black and white. And it wasn't until I went to a film festival and saw it for the first time. And I was like, this movie is in color the whole time? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yes. Well you, well, I, well, you know what's funny is that, that every once in a while, if you see an old commercial from like... Uh, it's you know, it's saying NBC, and it would say, you know, and, and it would say, you know, and now in color, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they would have to make it a point 
and they were broadcasting stuff in color, which I thought was trying cool. trying, to, trying to get you to get that color TV. It's like y'all yeah. need to go buy up your, up, <laughs> up your game, up get your TV game. Hey Matt, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just saying, I just turned 40. I've never felt younger thanks to you. Thank you. <laughs> Talking about black and white TVs. Um, I, uh, when Jeannie first told, told the story of when she saw it in color, I'm like, that's the original audience that had the same reaction in theaters when when The Wizard of Oz, you know, she walks out and everything is color. Uh, anyway, if you guys want to talk about Super Nintendo, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about it. <laughs> oh my god, those are the days. Anyway, what's, what's, what's up with you, Chris? I know you guys are busy with the show. Um, yeah, you know, you've been show, going to the set. Um, you've been but, going to the set. You've been going watching them shoot still. I've been watching some stuff. Um, I mean, they've been out on location most of last week. The week before that, God, I saw some shit that it was just like it was magical. See. By the way, Jeannie Jean, and uh, uh, Matt, Chris is on a show that he can't talk about. Otherwise, mm-hmm. how, what, hap- what happens to him, uh, Lisa? People, people, so, so people in dark suits show up and <laughs> yeah, dark sunglasses and they knock on your door <laughs> and, and, they hold, and they hold this metal thing in front of your eye and they say, look light. real quick and then it goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy because it's like, you know, like the contract was a pretty straightforward, you know, like writer deal. Mm-hmm. And I get to like the, you know, the second to the last point right before the signature line and, and it's kind of like you cannot discuss this movie post about it socially and, and it's like bold italics and underlined that whole section <laughs> and, and nothing else in the contract was like that i was like oh so y'all serious about this <laughs> jesus they will come get you and and, and, and written in blood it's bold yeah. italicized <laughs> and in blood it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy because i checked everyone's social media who's on the show the other writers mm-hmm. and they don't have anything mentioned on it either Nothing. Like, like no one does except for the showrunner but I, I mean there's stuff that we've leaked a little I mean that I've leaked a little bit I'm telling. Like, you know, but, but, <laughs> uh, let me go make a phone call like hello <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah but it's, it's it's been good it's you know I'm um, I, I, you know like I'm uh, I bring stuff into my office like art to my office now which is good cool because i feel i feel like i can do that now because um, we're back up you know what's really cool is because the whole office is vaccinated um the other day when we had the room we actually all met in person you guys were in the room yeah we actually all met in person i mean you, i mean it, you it know what's funny is crazy Jeannie, i know you guys haven't been to my office if we were if the rona wasn't here we would all be there at my office good um and so my office is on the lot in West Hollywood next to OWN Network and all that and the old Warner Brothers uh, place. Mm-hmm. And so it is like packed, Chris, just full of productions coming in. Every day I see people look, walking up and down, looking at the, the offices and pe- people are starting to load in um, furniture. So I got a feeling writer's room is going to open back up again soon. Well, very soon. Very soon. You know, because that's, that's, I, mean, I mean, we have four stages up where we are. And, um, I mean, everyone has the mask on and the shield on, you know? I mean, to go on set, you got to have, like, the mask, the shield, and you got to have a certain kind of badge that lets you know that you can be around the talent when yeah. they're, you know, like, masks are off because there's, like, I guess there's three tiers for that, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, 
we didn't meet like in the actual writers room. Writers room because the co EP like um, his his office became that room, mm. you know, and and we'll have something else when we can officially do it. So we just met in the showrunner's office. Uh, yeah, but we all got to meet in person. It was actually oh, nice. It was cool with no masks, not nothing. I was like, oh, this is dope. This that is that is the weirdest thing. We'll get into you, you two in just a moment, but that is the weirdest thing about what's happening with the writers' rooms now. You get into a room and you you've never met the people before in your life. Yeah. You know, usually you guys are like family. Yeah. You know, it's like a weird. Yeah. All of a sudden, that's the person you've seen on screen for five screens. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, our our offices are up at the stages, so for the last month, you know, like we've been going up there uh, pretty much every day. Right. And but you know we have to keep our doors closed. If someone comes in, it's got to put the mask on. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean the offices of I mean like like everyone's desk has got a has got a big shield on it anyway. So you know it's it's interesting to see to see like just what they did to let you kind of be in the same space. Yeah. Um, but it's cool. It's I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Awesome. Cool. Stuff next week. I think I think next <clears> week <throat> I can talk about it. Because <laughs> if something's going to happen, and then I think we can talk about it. So. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the show. If you guys are grown, let's get into it. So today, we got my girl, Big Sis, Jeannie Vallette Bowerman, executive of Pipeline Media Group, editor-in-chief of Pipeline Artists, and her partner, Matt Joseph. Um, Misitich, I, I just freaking had it a second ago. <laughs> Matt Joseph Misitich, Senior Executive Partner, Pipeline Media Group. Welcome the two of you guys to the show. How are you yes, guys? Thanks for having us. Indeed, indeed. So I've been following Jeannie for a long time. Um, she's been out. Everybody knows who she is. She's been doing all kind of crazy stuff out there forever. Forever, <laughs> ever? <laughs> And, Some um, really crazy stuff, but we won't not, not I have mean, to go not there. In a funny way. I mean, not in a funny <laughs> yeah. way. Um, but you've been in the game for a long time. Let's just tell everybody like, who you are and where you're from and how you got into the game and what it is you guys do over there at Pipeline. Well, I kind of, you know, I live in the middle of nowhere in the country in upstate New York. And, um, and so I got, I started writing with like a college friend of mine. And, um, but then, and we were writing like rom-coms and stuff that, that honestly, like, I didn't even want to go see. Like, <laughs> like I'm not really a rom-com person. That's the like, most honest answer. I love it. Jeannie, <laughs> do you have darker sensibilities? Is that what I'm saying? I am, yes. 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 I, okay. yes. Like, there was one time we had, like, a group of us together. There were five of us. We were pitching HBO. And, and we were you know, pitching ideas back and forth with each other about coming up with different, you know, the answer to the question, what else have you got, you know? And I was one of those people who was always like willing to put this person in the darkest, most sick circumstances. (laughs) And I was making everyone wildly uncomfortable. (laughs) It's like, it's like best, it's my best friend's wedding meets Saw. What? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that would be awesome. Right. Um, Just not to the human centipede level. Like, uh, you know, like, I I, I won't go there. Listen, listen, the fact that you know that, that means you're my people. The fact that you even know that, (laughs) God bless you. And and how about this, Lisa? I watched it with my daughter. Like, what? And you should. Wait, as you should. A good mother prepares their children. This is even better. (laughs) This could explain why my daughter is now a therapist. (laughs) Listen. You brought her up well, and she thought, you know what? I probably need to help some people. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> starting with my mother. Starting with my mother. So, so I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't, I don't want to write that stuff anymore. You know, this kind of, you know, whatever surface stuff. And my husband was reading the Wall Street Journal one day and he came across an article about Douglas Blackman's book, Slavery by Another Name. And I was like, hell yeah, this needs to be a movie. This needs to be. So I kind of stalked him for like six months and just, you know, like would watch any interview that he did and read any interview that he did to see if he was a jerk or if he was like humble. Um, and then once I decided, yeah, I, I liked him, like I could reach out to him and I, I didn't think he was a jerk. I sent him an, uh, an email and said, I wanted to adapt his book. And he, the next day he, um, called me up and he's like, do I know you? Like, are you famous? And <laughs> I'm cousin. like, I'm not famous. No, I'm like a white girl from upstate New York. <laughs> but, you know, you're a white guy from Atlanta. So like, you know, and um, so we ended up meeting. Um, I flew down. I said to him I was going to be in Atlanta the next week for business. And um, so I flew down the next week and he goes, well, I'm not even sure I'm going to be there because, um, you know, my bureau, the Atlanta, he was the Atlanta bureau chief of the Wall Street Journal. And he goes, my bureau handles all the hurricanes and it was hurricane season. So I may not even be here, but if you're going to be here for business, just ring me up. And, and if I'm here, I'm here. We can meet. OK, great. So I go down there. I had no business in Atlanta. It was a total <laughs> lie. And but I flew I like down that there. Hustle. I like that. <laughs> but I flew down there anyway and like I I texted him when I got there. I'm like, "Hey, I'm at the hotel." And he he's like, "Oh, I'm in town. I'm going to come down." So like 10:30 at night, he comes to the hotel and we have gin and tonics <laughs> in the bar and like he starts swearing and I'm like, "I'm going to like this guy." <laughs> and um and even so then I was like not quite sure that I had really connected with him because at the same time, Spike Lee had reached out to him oh. to do a documentary of it. And I'm no Spike Lee. I have no writing credits. I'm, I'm just, you know, this hungry, passionate writer. So um, he was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk. And so I call him up and I said, look, can I meet you one more time? So I, he's like, sure. So the next day I was about to leave Atlanta, but I went to his offices um, one more time for another meeting. And I'm in the Wall Street Journal offices in the, in the conference room. And um, he was the, his secretary comes in and says he's going to be late. He's running late. Now, mind you, You'd think the Wall Street Journal offices would be really busy, like buzzing and hustling with all these reporters. There's nobody there. Like, <laughs> nobody there. It's, it's not Atlanta. Atlanta. It's not yeah, Atlanta. <laughs> so I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the, the room, and um, the secretary's gone, and I'm just like trying to like center myself. And at that time, I was training for my first black belt. All right, and wow. so I thought, I like well... That. I'm going to just center myself by doing my forms. I'm just going to like, <laughs> do some forms. <laughs> so I'm there, do my forms. I'm a full blown sidekick with my leg extended over uh, the conference there. table and in walks Douglas Blackman. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, this is the first at the wall street journal. And, but that kind of like cracked the ice for us, you know, and we sat, we talked and he goes, I know you've got no money to like pay me for an option on this. I know you really, you've got no credits. You've got 
basically have nothing going for you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but your passion. You're I know yeah, that, but yeah. your passion. Exactly. And, and your that's exactly. Kick. And your leg kick. Is <laughs> okay. That's telling me a lot. And if something doesn't go your way, you can handle it right then and there. Like, look, sir. <laughs> Maybe I scared him a little. I don't okay. know. Had, had anyone approached? I have a quick question, actually. Yeah. Had anyone, not to take over the hosting duties, but uh, oh, you've <laughs> you told this story um, to me a few times. I've heard it a few times. Uh, did he have anyone in terms of like studios or producers ever reach out to him to adapt that that book or no? Uh, to that what, point, you know what we did was something that I wouldn't. I don't know that I would recommend that any other writer do what I did, but I don't have any regrets doing what I did. Mm-hmm. I worked with him for a couple of years without any sort of a agreement, contract, wow. nothing. Mm-hmm. I wrote, I wrote the feature film. And then later wrote the uh, limited series version. Um, but I didn't, it, there was something in it for me. Like it was like my master's in writing, you know, mm. and, and it opened a lot of doors for me. I made a lot of connections with it, but he explained to me after the two years were kind of two years. And I was like, are we ever going to have like, you know, like we're out there pitching, we're out there doing stuff like maybe a little contract wouldn't be a bad thing now. Like I think I proved myself. <laughs> and he basically said to me, the reason he didn't give me a contract was because earlier and was because he needed to know I had some skin in the game that if he mm-hmm. was pulling it off the market, for me to write it, mm-hmm. that I needed to have something on the line. And mm-hmm. just because he was putting everything on the line. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, like uh, the documentary version of the the book went to Sundance. Um, Sam Pollard directed it. It was on PBS. It's a, they also created, he was also, I learned a lot from him. Like he was a person where you've got this, this IP and he turned it into all these different things like a doc and then like teaching lessons for schools mm-hmm. and then doing the narrative stuff with like licensing to different places. Yeah. 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 Like he was really smart with that. And it was really the first person in my universe who I knew who did that mm-hmm. was crossing all these boundaries with his, with this one piece of intellectual property. And I was just, you know, and, and then I'm in New York meeting him and I'm hanging out with the editors of the Wall Street Journal. And, and I'm like, <laughs> this is wild. Like for, I mean, if you saw my town, I live in this little country town with one traffic light. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty cool. So that's how I kind of, and then I joined Twitter and that's how I met Hilliard and all these other people and started networking on Twitter. That's how I met Matt. And started Script Chat, which is a Sunday night screenwriters chat on Twitter. We yeah. started that in 2009. Yeah. And then I would meet more people and be able to network that way. Um, and so I just used, like, online presence to kind of, and hustle to kind of get, you know, a foot in the door. And then I became editor-in-chief of Script Magazine, and, and now I'm over with Pipeline Artists. And I've also discovered that not just do I like to write, I really love to write articles. I love to help writers. I love to connect on that kind of level, you know, of inspiring writers, not just, so for me, the end game isn't even getting a produced screenplay anymore. Like it, it, that would be great, but it's just about writing and helping writers and building a community. And that's kind of what I'm writing novels now. I mean, that kind of is what makes me happy. Yeah. Cause as we get yeah, into the pipeline uh, media and stuff, you guys are doing there. I was, I was going to tell Chris, 
I don't know if you saw Chris. Chris, will you tell her about that article you put out last year about the the cop being oh, pulled over? Yeah. So you know, I Chris wrote would a, be a great person to write some of your articles too. Oh yeah, we'd love I, to. Yeah. Want to pull the one he Come wrote. Come on in. in there. <laughs> I wrote a uh, um, a personal essay. It's called Sirens, and it's basically I just I, I you know I was seeing a therapist, and we were talking about. Um, came in one time. I was really, really hot because I had seen this white woman at Beverly in Beverly Hills. She just kind of like got. She just kind of like had this such a pleasant encounter with the police, and I was like, <laughs> "What is this shit?" And I'm watching it across the street, you know. Um, and I came in, and my my therapist was like, "You should write about this." You know, like your journal is like that's a, there's a lot of that. They want you to do that to write stuff down to kind of get it out of your head. And then I just started writing. I just started cataloging like all the incidents that I remember that had happened to me. It must have been like like this is over like 40 years. And um, you know, and then I wrote it, and then a friend of mine looked at it, and this was like in February, and right when like. Amari Arbery got shot. My friend was like, you could get this published. This is like such publishable material. You just got to like clean it up. And I finished it up. And then um, I finished it up like maybe right around the time that George Floyd got killed. I think it was right after he got killed. I was done. And I was like, I was like, okay, so now people would want to see this now, read this now. And I seen this this couple couple of places to look at. Uh, Some people turned me down because it was too long. It wasn't like a thousand words. It was like, 7,000 words, and then this company, this magazine called um, uh, Guernica read it, and they were like, we want to publish this. We mm-hmm. want to publish this. This is, like, amazing. And they said, can you just can you bring it down to, like, 5,000 words? And I was like, I was like, how, I was like, how, how am I going to cut 2,000 words? That's a lot. Um, but then I was like, you know, but, you know, me, I mean, he, and he had cut it down to, like, 4,000. I was like, I'm not getting for that. That's too much. I said, I, I said, I can bring it to five. Um, and the, and it caused me to rewrite some stuff and just and to make some points sharper and things I thought were redundant came out. But but then they published it like um, it was like late July like last year and like a bunch of people read it. Uh, you know like uh, Joyce uh, Joyce Carol Oates read it and she like retweeted it like I think twice and then um, I think Stephen <laughs> King had commented on it. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was it was fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. I'd love to read that because okay. it's like like. Not that I want to go off on the slavery by another name tangent, but that book is, you know, when you read that, it, it, it explains why race relations are the way they are today and why the cops, you know, the black community have this, this relationship. I mean, you know, like, you know, I, I mean, I could just talk about this subject all day because it's so important. And my timing was always off, like when we were pitching it, when you talk about pitching that project, like this is my passion project that I'm hoping someday gets made when the timing's right. You know, um, I'd love to bring some black creatives on. Like, I think that's super important. Um, But the timing was always off. I remember first pitching it to uh, Doug's film agent at Paradigm Mm -hmm. in 2000. 10, right after it won the Pulitzer Prize because it won the Pulitzer Prize while I was writing it, okay. the script. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember her just, just nobody wants to make a black film. No actors want to be in black films. Nobody wants. And, and I just, uh, I looked at her and I said, look, I don't know how to say this to you without just being direct. Um, but I didn't get to be a black film by being a pussy. 
So <laughs> all you need, all we need is one yes. And yeah. we're not going to get the yes unless you ask people. Yeah. Like, ask people. Like, give them an opportunity. If mm-hmm. they say no, fine. But ask them. And um, Doug was mortified. But whatever. And then we were in Jamie Foxx's offices mm-hmm. uh, pitching him. And the woman who we were pitching said to us, I really hate to tell you this, but just this morning, Quentin sent him Django Unchained, and I'm pretty sure he's going to do that, you know? And so our timing was just always off. And then, and now it's that I'm white, you know, that certainly is an issue. Um, So is Doug. I mean, it's, it, you know, having that whole, um, you know, perspective and and, um, depth of artistry coming into um, add another layer to it. I mean, like, so I always tell people, like, you've got it, but it doesn't discount the importance of the project. Right. And maybe right. at some point it'll happen. I kind of stop. I just stopped pitching it, working on other things. Um, but it, but I learned a lot from it. I made a lot of great connections from it. I do still believe in it. I believe it's going to happen. And I love. I learned that I love historical fiction. Love historical stuff. <laughs> I understand. Awesome. Mm-hmm. What about what about you, Matt? What's your what's your? Oh, go ahead, Chris. Were you gonna say something? I was gonna say, since you say it's about the timing and people don't want to be in black film, and you know, there's an article, I guess, that maybe maybe it's today or yesterday. Franklin Leonard had something in the New York Times oh, yeah. about you know, like just the, the the money left on the table by not, and I and it's like I had been saying that for 15 years that mm-hmm. the way the 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 conventional wisdom is a Hollywood once just sees green, doesn't really see color and everything like this. But I know that that was always a lie. I've known that for 15, maybe 16 years. I remember when I first came out here, I met this friend of mine through the University of Michigan. He was working at um, the, in the finance department at Sony. And he showed me like a spreadsheet with their algorithm on like, kind of like how they make a decision on if they're going to green light a film. Like, what is, mm. who's, what's the budget? Who's in it? You know, the genre, blah, 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 blah. And I remember he was showing me the way Sony looked at what they were calling, like, urban films. And they had a, you know, and so they would look at what does something do foreign, I mean, like, domestic box office and domestic home video and then foreign home video and foreign box office. And what what bothered my mind was it didn't matter what the movie was, who the star was, what the budget was, there was a default number of five million dollars for for foreign theatrical. Mm. So it doesn't matter if it stars nobody or stars Denzel Washington all they're giving it is a $5 million value. And then you look at the home video and it's just in the, in the, the numbers is usually triple. It's right. huge, you know, cause or whatever. I mean, you see like the real appetite for a, you know, like for this, for this type of content, but they would always look at it as like, well, the real spend is if, how much we're going to spend on advertising for something for theatrical. And yeah, because they already, yeah, because they, because they already made the decision that, <laughs> It's only going to make five million dollars, like like worldwide. Well, then let's not really do this movie because that means it has to do so well in the states to cons- you know to make up all that 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 P and A spend. 
And I was like, but if you look at your home video number, you got movies that are making like 50, 60, 100 million dollars. Yes. You know, like, you know, like these films, you know, I remember looking at like Love Jones and stuff like this. They made huge money like on home video, but not in the box office. Right. Because they reported it as just five million. In right. And, and I right. was like, oh, they have a bias where they're never going to really let you like there's something baked into the system as to why they won't do the movies, you know. Hmm. And then and I couldn't figure out what that was until maybe like three or four years ago. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what it is. They don't want the narrative being told exactly. by black people telling their own narrative. That's what it is. That's mm. why they just baked in. They don't want this. So that's why when this Asian is telling you 10 years ago, well, you know, no one wants to do the movie. It's because the people, I mean, I'm sure the actors want to do it, mm. you know, but the other people involved are saying, well, we don't need to control the narrative or we don't want a story that, that is counter narrative to what we've been telling for the mm-hmm. last 100 years. You mm-hmm. know? So that, to me, I mean, and, and, and maybe that's being dismantled now, but, um, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Yeah. What's, your, what's your story? That's a lot to follow, uh, Matt. It's all good. We'll get into that. We'll Dude, into tell that. us about your middle-class white upbringing now. <laughs> after <laughs> after <laughs> stories about Pulitzer Prize winning Who you are. Uh, I'll keep it. I'll keep it quick. Um, uh, the year was 1981, San Pedro, California. No, I'll, I'll fast forward. I'll get. I'll. I'll get through the 80s and 90s, um, and just jump right into college. Um, so when I was, I majored in film. I double majored in film and English. And initially, I had wanted to be a writer, director, and maybe direct music videos, which. But obviously, spoiler alert, I'm glad I did not do that. Um, I'd be living in a van in Lamita right now if I was directing music. You, you nothing against make, Lamita. You don't want to make thousand dollar videos anymore? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and nothing against vans for that matter. Anyway, so uh, in 2002, there was someone came to one of our film classes and said, hey, you know, we have a, there's an internship opportunity with, with a talent manager. Uh, whoever wants to sign up, you know, come on up and we'll, we'll set you up with an interview or whatever. And I was not the type of person who was like, oh, an opportunity. I'm going to throw myself into this new situation and do it immediately. Um, but I'm like, well, I added something because I haven't had any internship at that point. And it was, I was still like very, very green. Uh, I still am green. <laughs> but uh, I was the only person that went up and signed up. Um, and I think one other person did. And we both got the internship and it was for a talent manager. Um, it was John Crosby who represented, um, I think he still reps them, uh, Shia LaBeouf and her buff, whatever. Uh, and I, I did that internship and it was just a, um, without getting into too many details, I'm like, I, I realized I didn't want to be an assistant. <laughs> so if I could just dodge this whole process somehow, uh, I don't care how many internships I have to take. I just don't want to, I don't want to go this route. It was just very, very stressful, right? Um, as every smaller big agency or management company probably is uh so i started reading scripts for one of the managers there um he asked me if i'd read scripts before and did coverage and i said yes and i had never done any of that i'm like genie i'm just a huge liar (laughs) um but i went on the internet this is the early days matt matt that's called moxie it's called moxie (laughs) (laughs) it's not lying it's not lying it's not lying uh, I had plenty of moxie back then, I guess. Um, 
and this, but this was the early days of the internet where you couldn't just jump on Google and find examples of a million different things. But I kind of dug around and looked at coverage samples and I whipped something together and read the script. Uh, and he was like, oh, this is really great coverage. And I thought, oh, I'll just do this for the next 75 years. Um, but from there, I did uh, maybe three years of, of just script reading internships and um, distribution internship and so forth, which I was able to do because I'm from here. So I was you know, living at home. I didn't have rent to pay and uh, other you know, bills. And I had, I, I, I'm fully aware of the luxury I had of being able to take unpaid internships. But where eventually... Did you, where, where did you yeah. go to school? Where did you go to school? I went to San Pedro High School and then I okay. went to... Uh, Long Beach State for college. I was going to say, I was like, please tell me you went to LB, you went to Long Beach State. I was oh, like, oh, somebody, no, from the, somebody from the LBC. Because I kept looking, I'm like, you look like somebody from Long Beach. Oh, I just you might, I still you carried might, over you the might, look. You might, you might think that I might be like this this middle class white boy, but I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, no, that could be a cholo. He from he from Long Beach. He no, Long, no, Beach, I, Long Beach is some different type of white folks. So I know, yeah. I know. Well, Embrace I, that. Matt and I, Yeah, I grew up in, in Rancho Palos Verdes, but like it's right next to San Pedro and I yeah. you know, it was a rough yeah. rough neighborhood. Most of us didn't have air conditioning. So yeah, listen, I don't know <laughs> how I survived. Um, are you from Long Beach or are you you went to Long Beach State? I'm from San Diego and I went to San Diego State, but a lot of my friends from San Diego, they moved to Long Beach and went to Long Beach State. And so I was coming up there at least twice a year. And I loved yeah. it up there. Every time I went up, it was like, okay, this would probably be my little type of L.A. It's like, it's not L.A., but it gets you close enough where it's like, okay, we can we can dart here and there. You it's know, a little little it's a taste little, of the streets. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's a little taste of the streets, but it's not it's not as, as deep as I really need to get, but it, it'll, get, it'll, <laughs> right. it'll, it'll do what it needs to do for me. So I totally get it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and it was nice because, and I'm sure it's even more so now, but it was a very diverse campus in terms yeah. of uh, people and in terms of thought and they were very yeah. open and welcoming and uh anyway that was a, it was a nice experience and i i do feel like i got like a, a bargain university experience uh learning the same stuff i would assume that most other more expensive private schools probably offered so that gave me a good a good foundation yeah uh dollars a semester it was when i was there wow um, in the day. Ooh, 1923 it was this no. had the it, days <laughs> yeah, horse, it's, you went to class in a horse and buggy <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even have the buggy <laughs> <laughs> No, so it was, it was, it was, I was a Honda Civic, but it was close enough. Um, so anyway, I had, I had internships and then I finally got a few um, paid script reading jobs. And then in 2006, I applied to Script Pipeline for like a $12 an hour data entry job. And um, my now business partner, uh, Chad, asked me if like, hey, do you read scripts? And I'm like, sure. And he had me read a script. So I just started doing that instead because... Um, the notes were good. And, and so I kind of went in that direction for a couple of years uh, while I was working at film distribution. Um, also still having the luxury of living at home for most of that, at least. Uh, so, you know, I was, it helps, you know, to not have that pressure on you to go get a bunch of extraneous jobs to support what you're trying to do in that division of the industry. So uh, 2008, I took over the management. So that was my new, like, essentially full-time job. Uh, and that was the year that Evan Doherty submitted to Script Pipeline. And 
he won with a script called Shrapnel. And uh, we... That's um, good script. I remember that script. Did you read that script? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, it's still one of the best oh, yeah, scripts so, that I've ever read. Okay. The movie, very different. Um, and we'll just leave it at that. But, like, the script is the script is, <laughs> was phenomenal. Um, and we we sent that to a manager contact of ours uh he signed them um he went on meetings yada yada and then he sold snow White and the huntsman in 2010 and when that that moment it definitely shifted things for us as a company but uh, not to you know to be too hyperbolic but it really did mark that moment when screenwriting contests and fellowships and so forth in general i feel like kind of started to take off because it legitimized everything it's like hey these aren't just like we're actually helping our writers connect with real people who can do real things um and that script sold for three and a half millions which is still one of the biggest spec sales of all time whoa 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 whoa. where's my 10 percent you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what I asked. No. <laughs> a lot of people Right. A lot of people assume too that we were like, oh, they probably got a percentage of that. I'm like, we didn't get a percentage of that. Uh, the only thing it helped us with is just like every success story we have is uh, just increasing our reputation amongst the industry and that, right. that alone is that's fine. Right. Um, so so yeah, after that moment I was I'm like I'm kind of ingrained in the company now and flash forward to 2019 when, you know, it's not that I got, I'm, I'm, I'll never get sick of like doing what we do for script pipeline and, and now both pipeline and film. Uh, but I just, I felt like there was an opportunity for us where we weren't appealing to all the creatives out there and all the filmmakers and, and writers and authors. Cause there's some people that they're not going to want to submit to a contest or they're not going to want to submit to for notes or anything. Maybe they have their own system in place or uh, it's for the you know, same reason why some filmmakers and writers don't need a manager or don't need an agent. They just kind of go off and do things on their own. So for that audience, script pipeline was, wasn't relevant to them. And I wanted to create something that was relevant not only relevant to everybody, but that was actually useful and something that filled a gap in the industry that wasn't already there. Um, and so I looked, I kind of looked at what was, and I'll, I'll wrap this up quick. I'm sorry. Um, I can talk for days as okay. can tell you, and then she can talk for days. No, you're and then, good. You're good. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. So, uh, so yeah, so I kind of looked at what was out there in terms of, quote-unquote content right what kind of articles were out there what kind of um sites were out there where either a new whether a new or established writer or filmmaker or author could go to like learn about something new right or become you know, a little bit more educated a little bit more empowered and, and motivated and there really isn't that that much right that caters to that it's I won't call it a niche demographic. It's a pretty large niche, right? Um, but there's really nothing out there. there there's, there's sites that focus on craft, and that's fine. Um, there's sites that um, talk about, you know, there's IndieWire, there's news sites, there's, you know, places where you can go to read interviews with established talent, but no one was kind of focusing on that emerging the new writers, the people that you really do want to hear from because they just broke in a year ago or a month ago, right? Um, to get their perspective on what's what's fresh and relevant. So, I don't know, just kind of had a light bulb moment, and I'm like, well, let's create a really grounded, sort of sophisticated site in a way that's kind of like the New Yorker, but for uh, but for artists, 
for creative people. Um, and uh, yada, 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 here we are. <laughs> that's, well, that's my, that's, I rushed through the third act, but there you go. But and I and most that's and that's pipeline <laughs> artists, you know, like our our site pipeline artists. And when he talked about emerging writers and and this can circle right back to to this podcast was one day I saw Hilliard post something about emerging writers being on the podcast. And that's when you guys had on Jamal, Saeed, and Richard. Right. And I listened to that podcast and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Mm-hmm. And like I just loved them, and I already knew Saeed because he had been on our on Script Chat before. Mm-hmm. And I just reached out to all of them, and I'm like, "Hey, you guys want to be on Script Chat? You want to?" And then I was like, "You want to write for Pipeline Artists? Like you because <laughs> they're they're at that moment when they're they're like either popping or like about to pop, and like yep. you know they're 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 hungry. They worked hard. They you know they're I we wanted to share their experience with other people right. you know and also that the other thing i'm i'm passionate about is that if you're an, an artist you're an artist like most writers are not just writers mm-hmm. like you know like i make jewelry i, I you know like you know like i you, people do other things they're painters right. musicians they're or if they've got like the screenplay they've they've you know maybe maybe they want to adapt it into a novel and and so we we support screenwriters novelists filmmakers will branch out into composers we hired professional illustrators like you know you know visual artists who they do incredible work i mean just really beautiful stuff mm-hmm. and um Oh, and one other thing, Lisa, you mentioned on that podcast, and I think about it all the time when I write. You said something about a description that somebody had written about a velvet switchblade. Uh, oh, I love that. Uh, what is that, Lisa? Do you remember? It's from Michael Clayton. It's, oh, it's, yes. it's, it's, right. it's Tony Gilroy. He's talking 20, about my, um, he's talking my about, dude. Um, City Pollock's character. Yes, my dude. Ugh. He describes him like that. That's what he describes like, him. But very quickly gets you, you know everything about this character just with that mm-hmm. that line. It's amazing writing. Yeah. So I think I yeah, I think about that all the time. Oh my God. <laughs> when you get those notes, when you read scripts like that, when you're just like, ah, they got it. This is this is it. This is mm-hmm. it. And you, just, and you just hope that you can get it to somebody who sees that vision and just, ah. I mean, that's just the quandary of the business that, you know, we're in. It's like, it's great stuff out there and it's just getting it to somebody who like you said you know just who could say that yes like yes you know and oh good writing yeah this interesting because you know like i was talking with my friend uh joe wilson who's like the number two on the equalizer and he um and you know and he he introduced me to someone over at cbs like last summer when a show that he and I were developing had, had to go on pause because he got hired on that. Right. And, um, and I had the meeting with CBS and it was, I mean, she read my script, but she was like, Oh my God, like, I'm so happy to meet you. Like, you know, like Joe mentioned you and I read your script and blah, blah, blah. I was telling Joe about it. And, and Joe was like, he was like, look, man, it's all about exposure for mm-hmm. you because you know, I know your personality and I know your writing and it's just like once people get a chance to meet you and read you, then they'll get thrilled. 
And I and, and he was like, but that's the main, and it just made me think, it's like, yeah, so many people are good, but to find, but to be exposed to what's happening, so that because there's so much noise, and you need other people to champion you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's difficult for you to champion yourself, particularly as a writer, because you're just like, oh, I'm a great, I'm a great, I'm great. People are like, yeah, you just tell me that, right. you know. And 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 the other thing you know is that like nobody wants to read anything, so it's hard, <laughs> you know. It's just so if someone else can champion that for you, yeah. that makes yeah. it like, an easier way for you to get. Mm-hmm. Like that second look that you wouldn't get if you were doing it on your own, and that's what's right. cool about a, a company like yours that is doing that for people. You know, like, like being that cheerleader. Because I mean, if you think about it, like almost everything that you see that you really love, someone has has talked to you through word of mouth. Someone mm-hmm. that you've seen that's like some obscure film that's like you got to see this, you got to see this, is because there's someone saying that to you, not because. It's like the media, it's a bunch of commercials and, you know, I remember the other day like like I got the Wong Kar Wai box set from the Criterion thing and my friend was like, oh my god, I love that. And I was like, yeah, dude, I, I remember when I first saw Chunky Express, someone was talking about it and I was like, that person's passion was so high, I had to go see the movie and then yep. I was blown away. And then, yep. Mm-hmm. And, the, and 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 next thing you know, like I'm the biggest cheerleader. And like, okay. All movies are coming out, and then in the movie, you just and, and that's what happens with the art that we like. Which reminds me, you know, you need that. to see if you haven't seen yet on AMC, the Gangs of London. Dude, I know of it. They shot the shit out of this thing. Uh, you see you it. Boy, uh, Cheo was talking about yes. it to no end, and I was like, I gotta get to it. I gotta get to it. Yeah. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Matt? You were gonna say No, I'm glad he mentioned that because I I don't even really think I've mentioned this to Genie as far as like why, you know, I wanted to launch this site and why we wanted to, to push forward with it. Uh part of it, a big part of it is because of just my own frustration in sending out good scripts from really good writers and just getting passes and no's and maybe's and like, oh, let's, we'll see. And then they never get back to you. And I, I'm not criticizing our ministry context. They, you know, they're, you like what you like at the end of the day. Right. And you, you can't, it's not fair for the writer to pursue something unless you're, you're fully behind it. But, uh, I just saw a lot of talent, talented writers, talented filmmakers just kind of, I don't say sitting around, but they're, they're, they had something to say and they, they needed the platform to say it on. And uh, again, as good as I think, you know, a job we do with script pipeline, there was no place for me to put them. If that makes sense, you know, and put their voice and put their writing and so everyone can see it. And so that's why when we created the site, I didn't want to structure it. Also why Jeannie was so key in this because she understood that, that whole world. I don't know anything about running a magazine, Um, but I didn't want, professional writers to be writing for the site. I wanted the, the, the artists uh, themselves, I wanted their voices to be on the site. And we've had so many people say, uh, well, I'm a screener. I've never written an article before. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. just write it, write it honestly and write it authentically. And it'll come through. And uh, honest to God, those have been the best pieces we've had so far. Right. Jenny? I mean, Vanden's yes, article was a, at launch was a huge hit. And, mm-hmm. This latest one from from Brad and Christian about um, about uh, optics and race and so forth was was uh, 
uh, also well received and all these different writers that didn't think that they could open up and, and write something personal that's also relevant universally to all these other creatives uh, is encouraging it's, it's kind of a gamble that paid off and I think one of the other things we do that I love is like we tell people when they pitch us ideas for articles it's like well what are you most passionate about writing like, what's the thing that you are so excited to talk about that you want to just get off your chest or share with other people because maybe you wish you knew it before or, you know, um, because those are the articles that we always encourage them. Like, like if somebody submits something to me and I think they could go deeper, like I push it back to them and say, you need to go there because this is an opportunity for you to have your writing voice out there. Mm-hmm. So don't hold back. Like we just published a piece that is profoundly moving about um, Mm -hmm. a writer who has cancer and she almost died twice. And um, she wrote about her near death experiences and how in the hospital, she's like, I have, she's like literally dying. And she's like, I have to write, like, I have to, I have to channel this somewhere. And she was like stealing doilies off of trays and pens just so she could you know, right. And wow. that's like what saved her sanity. Yeah. And, um, and we just published that, I think, was it Friday, Matt? Yeah. Friday. And it's so good. And as I was editing it, I'm like tears. <laughs> like, wow. Because yeah, it was real. It was honest. Heavy. It was brave. <laughs> and that's the thing good. too, like where else would she have had a chance to kind of, you know, publish that somewhere. Right. And again, that's really not a knock to other publications, but because I know they, they need the, the hooky sort of SEO-driven content. Um, but those are the stories that someone's going to read that story if they haven't already and say, wow, I'm having this other set of issues or even similar issues, but if this person could do it, then so could I, right? Yeah. And I also said right. to her, you need to think about writing this as a book. Like, it, uh, you know, yeah, and so she she's like, so she's now working on her nonfiction book proposal. <laughs> you know? and it's funny it's funny because as soon as you write something personal like that people see you in a different way right and they mm-hmm. appreciate you differently and if the material connects with someone you know like you guys like a like a publisher or, or a magazine like that they then you're kind of like where's the next piece where's the next piece because i remember Several friends of mine who had done, who worked in publishing, were like, "You should write a memoir. You need to write a memoir." And I was like, "Why do I need to write a memoir? They're like, just you need to think about writing a memoir. Like the way, like the way that your voice is on the page, talking about this type of stuff, is 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 not what people are writing. And mm-hmm. you know, and the story you had, and the stories that you've told me personally, you know, make a lot more sense to me now because I see this other kind of like this underlying factor that, you know, that has been, you know, something in your life, you know, because, you know, I mean, I was trying to tell him, I was like, well, he was, I was like, you know, it was weird writing that because as a black person, as a black man, you know that they're like almost every black man has these stories, mm-hmm. these run-ins with the cops that are dehumanizing as hell. And then, the, and then the question is, how do you write it in a way that is your voice and is unique so that, because, I, because this woman who has cancer, you know, I mean, not taking anything away from her, but it's like, there's people who have survived cancer. 
You know, like, mm-hmm. like my mom, she said breast cancer twice. Right? I have. But it's the thing. Mm-hmm. That, but the thing is, how do you write it so other people can access it? Can right. Access right. what you're going through, you know, and make it so that it, it's not like some event that you're reading it from, you know, that, that's like a train wreck. But it's like, oh, I was part of that train crash, too. You know, mm-hmm. you bring someone mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. That's how you really get people a lot, like, on those personal essays. At least, you know, like, I, I remember, like, the ones I was reading to figure out, like, you know, like, um, how to write mine in terms of like a, a structure. Um, I remember there's this, this guy named Hilton Alls who he writes for the New Yorker and he had an essay in um, uh, this thing called uh, Great American Essays and he kind of just talked about like, you know, his experience as um, as a gay black man coming to New York in the the early 80s and, and and what that was about and uh and you know it was into like it was it was interesting the way that he he brought you into that world in a space that felt so that you know it felt that you were walking next to him and i was like mm. oh that's actually really cool point of view <laughs> yeah the, the yeah. point of view you know and and, and, and that's the thing that's, that's beautiful about doing those personal essays uh as opposed to almost anything else is that you know if, if you write these other these other things like a a, a novel or a screenplay or something like that or you know or, or some other kind of essays it's kind of like there's a genre that people want to that the people are expecting you to fall into mm-hmm. for a lot of things and therefore you have to follow those tropes in a way you know or you have to you have to you have to stay within those guardrails so people can people can I, I mean people feel that they need those but I'm always like no you don't you don't mm-hmm. need those you write mm-hmm. something that's so strong then if it defies genre, it defies genre. I think that that, that genre is like a is a way for us to be. Um, uh, it's kind of a shorthand, you know. But there's right. all this stuff that people do that's that you know that transcends the genre because they're like, oh, you're just telling me a story about people, mm. and there's things that are that you know that you know, and that's what we really like connect with anyway. Let me uh, yeah. let yeah. me ask Jenny a question. So did you? Remember back when you were saying you were doing the was it the Wall Street Journal and all that where you were hanging around all those people? Yeah. Is that where you learned how to how to do magazines and write articles and all that? And no, edit? I um, the Doug who wrote Slave by Another Name worked at the Wall Street Journal. So when I would meet him in New York, I hung out with those his coworkers and stuff okay. like that. But for me, I I learned um, <laughs> I I went to the hotel school. I had a motel and restaurant for 15 years. Right. I didn't major in writing, nothing like that. When I was at college, I had to take a couple writing courses, and I took one called Writing from Experience. And it was sort of like what we now today call personal essays. Mm-hmm. You know, Interesting. And so I wrote this, um, this term paper. I loved the class, and I wrote this term paper about my house, my childhood. And I completely exaggerated things because intuitively I knew I needed dramatic moments. I needed conflict. And no one, taught, yeah, no one taught me that. I just intuitively knew something's got to happen here. So I think I'm going to have my friend kind of almost drown. Like, you know, <laughs> like, of course, going to the dark places, right? So, after I wrote that paper, my professor, I was 19 years old, and I remember he 
said, we need to go have lunch and, and I want to talk to you because I was in the hotel school. And so we go have lunch, you know, back when quiche was cool. It was the 80s, you know. Uh, and <laughs> I know, I know, it's so good. <laughs> and so we were, we were, you know, having lunch and he said, Jeannie, you have to, you have to change your major. Like you are a writer. Like I don't understand why you're in the hotel school. Like you need to come over, over here, take a, get a creative writing degree and, and transfer. And, um, and at Cornell, it wasn't like you could just change your major. You literally had to transfer to the other school. Like it was a big pain in the ass. Like you had to reapply to the other and they could, they could not take you. Like you, (laughs) then you'd be out. I was lucky enough to get in in the first place. Uh, I was like, I can't deal with that. But I also said to him, I said, look, I said to him, first of all, I thought of it as like, why would I want to be a writer? That's like doing a term paper, like all the time. (laughs) Because all that I was thinking about was writing the stuff that I didn't care about writing about, like the Mm -hmm. stuff that I Mm -hmm. had to write for work, you know? And, but I, but the most important thing was I said to him, I don't know why anybody would want to read anything I have to say. Like Mm -hmm. I was so insecure at that age. I couldn't imagine putting myself out there the way I had done in the safety of a classroom, you know, my dad was a writer and he, but not like a professional writer, but just like on the side. And he always wanted me to be a writer and he was very, very supportive of it. But he also was a practical man. You know, you need a job major in something you can get a job in blah, blah, blah. And um, so that's how, so I kind of was self-taught. Like I got on, I, I, my first screenwriting, I learned how to, first book I bought about screenwriting was screenwriting for dummies, like straight up. <laughs> like I was just trying to learn and like read scripts and, you know, this was back when you had to like buy a script on eBay, like <laughs> to get to read one. And, and then, um, and then because of script chat, when I founded script chat, um, I guess what happened was I, I started a blog because on Twitter, I met a bunch of writers. And so I was just trying to learn every day. I wanted to learn something new. So I saw all these people starting these blogs and I'm like, oh, okay. So um, Jane Friedman, who was at the time publisher of Writer's Digest, um, and I were talking about, I met on Twitter and we were talking about bourbon, tequila, Rolos, nothing to do with writing, you know, talking about drinking. And, um, and she followed me on Twitter and she started reading my blog and she liked my writing voice and said, and then at one point she said, um, invited me to go out to a 90th anniversary event in Cincinnati for Writer's Digest. And my then writing partner said to me, she didn't invite you. She put an invitation out on Facebook about this event. And I'm like, I don't care. She, she, I'm going. Like, she invited me. He's <laughs> like, I have no business doing this thing. This party was in some dive bar in Cincinnati, which is, it was full of these like nerdy writers and editors of Writer's Digest. And it was really kind of the first time in my life I felt like, I'm where I belong. Like the, these are my people. I found my people. And, yeah. And Jane said to me, she came up to me and she brought me, gave me a shot glass that said like, don't drink with your parents or something like that. Like never <laughs> drink with your parents. And um, I think I did shots with my daughter with that glass, but that's another thing. <laughs> and 
maybe while we were watching Human Centipede, I don't know. And, <laughs> and she offered me an article in Writer's Digest um, about my Twitter experience, because this was 2009, when Twitter was new, Starting and people out, yeah. were just kind, of, just kind of learning it. And um, I was the master Twitter networker. And so I submitted this article, my dad, I remember my dad editing it with his red pen, you know, going to town on the article. So I submitted to Jane and she goes, this is a wonderful article, but this is not what I want. I want your Twitter pimp angel voice that you have on your website, on your blog. That writing voice is what I want. And she was the person who taught me to trust my voice and that changed everything. And then I started and then, um, one of Matt's friends, Joseph Ste- Joshua Stecker, who was an editor at Script Magazine at the time, reached out to me and uh, offered me a column on Script Magazine, and that's Balls of Steel column. And um, and so that just and that's how I met Matt through Joshua, and um, and that's how I just got my I just kept writing and I wrote as if. You know, I was just I would literally just put it all on the page. Um, you know, like I would tell people, I rip open my wounds and hand the reader the salt shaker. And because if you can't do that as a writer, like, you know, you can't do that with your characters, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. You have to be right. able to go and there. It's true in every <clears throat> every facet of writing, too. I mean, we're talking about our articles and stuff and, and just personal experiences. But, like, uh, the scripts that are garnering attention now and and really since since day one, since I started reading scripts, and I'm sure it's been the same since 1922, right? Uh, you have to kind of put a piece of yourself on the page or else it won't feel authentic. And then if it doesn't feel authentic, it's not going to, it's just going to be had that missing X factor, right? Uh, the script that we had come through last year that sold to legendary for seven figures. Um, it's, it was humanizing. It was like, it just felt like it felt very personal, even though it was a, you know, it's a, oh, can't pitch it obviously, but it's a sci-fi drama, essentially. Um, the concept's cool and everything, but it came from a personal place and that showed on the page. Uh, our winners last year, every season, our finalists and winners, uh, that's the one common thread they all have in, uh, all have in place is that, the writer sat down and said, people call it their fucking script now, right? Every script should be your fucking script. Um, but they sat down and said, I don't care about writing and conforming to a genre and making sure like all these boxes are checked. I'm going to sit down and write whatever the hell I want. And you still have to make it fresh and original, but all that's going to come out almost subconsciously on the page. And you'll be surprised when it does. Yep. I, don't, I think a lot of writers don't trust themselves yet. No, they don't. Right? They, they, they absolutely don't. And I contend that there's that when people tell you about genre and they want you to put your movie in a genre, it's because they might not get what you're doing because mm-hmm. they're so it's so many people are used to like their experience with you know movies and stuff like that is I, I, I would say to a degree is very limited you know I, I mean. I mean, like, I wrote this movie that I'm trying to, like, figure out some some last bits of it on. This, I, 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 something that Hillary read recently. And, like, I specifically wrote it where I jumped genre 
four times in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, 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 it was, and, and I designed it that way. And I remember people kept asking me, some people were reading and going, what's the genre of this? I, I, and I, you know, you, they were like, you have to decide the genre. And I was like, no, I don't. I, I actually, <laughs> it's a movie. That's the yeah, genre. It's, it's a movie. <laughs> and, and I feel that like it's, it's that you're used to seeing stuff if you're used to seeing the, 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 the most, you know, the most publicized works are what they can sell and everything like that. But the stuff that, like, that really like, touches your soul is stuff that, um, you know, it's hard to categorize to a certain degree. Right. And, and uh, I mean, and, and, and that to me is what makes it fascinating because if I'm watching a film noir, which I know is a film noir, I know what's going to happen. To yeah. I know because it's, it's like oh, somebody yeah, gonna there's, die. There's, there's, <laughs> you know, there's 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 these characters. That, oh, oh, there's a woman. There's yeah. a woman who's 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 exuding a high degree of sexuality. Femme fatale, right there. She yeah. she's gonna do this. She's gonna have to because that's what the genre is telling us. Right. And the thing is, if you write something that defies that, but still works at the end of this, it still works as a story, and you feel that you were told something like satisfactory at the end. That's the kind of stuff that you know that you know that that, we, that, that now we get excited about because we've mm-hmm. seen so many movies, you know, we, and we've been in. I mean, and, and even before that, for the movies, we've told like we're told so many stories just as humans, you know, like we're exposed to so many stories, and I feel that like you know that's the stuff that when people get around and they want to write that stuff, that's like. Oh fucking! No one's gonna want to buy this. No one's gonna sell this. Blah 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 blah. blah. That's because you're afraid of like what you think the marketplace wants. But, but but I think in your mind you are like reverse engineering the process as opposed to as opposed to let me just write it and then see if it sells. Because if it's mm-hmm. really good, it'll sell. Now if it's made, that's a whole other story. But that's not right. up to you, you know. Let me let me just go back to something. Sorry, Jeannie. Jeannie let me just say this little thing that he was talking about his script. Just so you know, the way that that script is written, they're written like, if I'm just going to use this as a bad example, you know, Tarantino just chapters or sequences, you know what I mean? So each chapter mm-hmm. is a completely different genre. So you can't possibly read this and go, well, why are the genres changing? It's a whole other fucking chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you talking? I could do whatever. I'll, it all comes back, <laughs> you know, in the end. Get yeah. to it and you'll see where it's going. So that's just, it's laziness to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You guys yeah. say something, Jenny? No, I was fine. I, was, <laughs> I put myself on mute because the dog was going to bark. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so, so let me just ask you this. Do you guys want to talk about uh, pipeline artists or you want to talk about script pipeline mainly? What's, what's the thing you guys really want to talk about? Uh, hey, I could touch upon the pipelines of both if you'd like. You know, one thing I want to say, because I think this is like really important from a writer perspective, I, I just started working at Pipeline last November, right? Um, I spent a decade at Script Magazine and Writer's Digest. um, And as a screenwriter, submitted to every contest you can think of, Mm -hmm. you know, um, to varying degrees of success. And um, finalists in a couple of them, you know. Um, But my experience had always been, when I entered contests, you know that, like, some people are reading. Like, you know, some of the managers, they get all the finalists for whatever contest, XYZ contest or whatever, and you know they're being read, and you're, you know, you, the phone rings. You know, you definitely learn if somebody's interested, they will call you, 
like straight up, they will call you Mm -hmm. if they're interested, you know? Um, And when I started at pipeline, like, I think I only maybe entered script pipeline once. (laughs) You did. It was eight years ago. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. It was like, it was like quarter finalist or something like that. And that was the only time I ever entered it. And when I got here, and we started talking to all the people who we wanted to write for Pipeline Artists. And Matt's very um, loyal to everybody who's been a finalist at the, in the contest. He stays in touch with them. He, he, one day, I think it was my first week at work. And he's like, okay, I'm going to be really busy. Kind of like timing is really weird, but I've got to make all these phone calls be, and I think maybe it was, was it the book pipeline contest? No, it, for, first look, it had ended, so I had to make the 13, 14 calls with all the mm. finalists and stuff. He literally calls every finalist and talks to them for like an hour. That's and, good. That's and good. Then, and then hours after that, trust me, I just and, I had two calls this morning. With, with and, oh, wow. And for years after it, there are people who are writing for us in Script Pipeline who, who were finalists like years ago. And they'd be like, every once in a while when they're submitting something, an email will come through and they'll be like, oh, I've got another script, Matt. You take a look at it. And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, I mean, he is always, and I'm not blowing smoke here. Like, this is genuine what I'm saying. Like, I don't, you know, speak like this about something when it's not real and genuine. Um he literally is the most amazing champion for the people who mm. come through. And no, you don't. You, I'm not. No, I want you to just write it down and like print it out so I can laminate it. I want to show it to my wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I want to have her call me. Let her know. We'll schedule a we'll schedule a Zoom. Um, oh, speaking so of his laugh. wife. He also did a the Lingo game show with his wife. If you ever want to Google that, I did. Please never YouTube that. <laughs> We talked about having no filter. What? <laughs> I, I was on a game show 15, 15 years ago, but we talked about we, we talked about having no filter before, and um, I said some flippant remark on the show, and the co-host yelled at me, and it was a whole thing. But anyway, um, to, Jeannie, to Jeannie's point, though, uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I know how other contests run and how other fellowships run, and I it, if as long as they're doing what they're promising, like that's fine. Like with our process though, I want to, it just makes sense to keep in touch with all these different great writers. Cause why wouldn't you? And I'm glad I did now. Cause when we launched pipeline artists, if I didn't, uh, if I hadn't have had that connection with all those writers, I would have no network and we'd have to go out looking for cold submissions instead of going to, okay, I know this person is an expert in this. I know this person's personality. This person has a great story from 2005 to tell, you know, let's, let's bring them on board. Right. Um, plus, uh, one of these people might write the next Back to the Future one day, and I, we're probably going to want to read it so we can, you know, send it out, you know. So it just makes a lot of sense to kind of keep that. Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, no one's written the next Back to the Future. I just, I'm, I've been waiting for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I, you know what? I got a story to say, but I can't say about it. Um, well, I'll say this. You know, like, <laughs> Spellwater is a huge fan of Back to the Future. And he has, like, that, um, he has the prop from the first movie that has the isotopes that Doc Brown has stolen from the Arabs. Like, he mm. has that prop in his office. Oh, it's just, like, wow. crazy. Wow. I was like, oh, I was like, what are you doing with that? He's like, I wanted it. I had to, I, I had to track, <laughs> track it down to get it. And, 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 I mean, and he's got, like, he's got, like, Leah Thompson's, 
uh, invitation to the premiere. He's just like uh -huh. he's a huge fan of it. And I'm just kind of like, I mean, look, I love that movie. And I'd love to see something like it. I think it's hard to do because it kind of hit a, it's a, there's a tone to that movie that is rare to do today. Mm -hmm. I think people oh, yeah. are, they're, they're, it, 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 it veers a little too, like, I think like the, I think that the, the, the immediate kind of reaction would be, Oh, we, this is something that Seth Rogen would do. But Seth Rogen is like a little too biting and the stuff that he does, you know, to, mm -hmm. to, to make that work. And I can't think of, you know, it's, and it's just like, there's a sweetness to that. And I remember watching just recently some behind the scenes stuff of that. Like, I, I've never seen outtakes from that movie. But they were having so much fun on set, like making that movie. And when they would make these mistakes, they would just all kind of crack up in a way that is maybe, that, that you wouldn't necessarily crack up at. But it lets right. me know about like how, what the energy was when they're making that. Yeah. You know, that, that's, they're, they're all about to laugh and then don't because the cameras are rolling. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned that film a lot, just like I mentioned, like the Truman Show always comes to mind and Minority Report comes to mind immediately. And it's when you look at the last, let's say, 40 years of films, there's been a lot of great films, but you could probably count on two hands which ones are the real iconic ones. You've got Raiders of the Lost Ark. You've got, you know, Back to the Future, right? You've got The Matrix. You've got, uh, you know, but why are, the, why are those the ones that stood out? And to me, it's because they did something that was maybe two to three degrees different, just a little bit of a pivot from all the stuff out there, right? Before Raiders of Lark, we had, you know, Alan Quartermain. And all, I mean, we had adventure series, right? Adventure movies, rather. Um, but there was something, there was that secret sauce, like that X Factor I was talking about in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And obviously, if you... If, if you're Steven Spielberg, you know you're gonna you're gonna bring something to it, and the writer's gonna bring something to it, and the casting is so important. And all these elements have to come together, and that's rare. Um, but that's the, the that's the thing I always tell, not just screenwriters but novelists too. How is this just a little bit different from everything that we've seen? Right. right? Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because there was the agent I was talking with one time. Maybe my friend Steve was telling me this, but but he was like, "Yeah, it's just gonna be seventeen percent different than anything else." Yeah, it's eight, it was eighteen is too much. Sixteen percent is not enough. <laughs> it's true. Different. And you're like, I was like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, oh, it's like this. It, what he what he's kind of saying is there is there's like a degree you gotta find and that sweet spot of being just different enough is mm -hmm. hard to reach and if you go and if you go just like like one degree too much or if it's like 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 one degree not enough the movie doesn't quite work it, it, might, it might still be a really good movie but it won't be one of these these iconic things that, that you're yeah. talking about and you know there's there's just really quick just to give an example I, I see this more often too in dramas because the dramas that stand out really you can see that that pivot sort of takes place it's in the directing or the writing but when I look back at the last couple of years of, of uh, feature films, uh, there's really only like for me, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm just a movie snob or what, but there's only like a, a handful of films that stood out. And I remember, uh, I think it was the flight home from New York for the conference, Jeannie, I remember, but I remember distinctly where I saw it and I was just engrossed the whole time and I watched it on my phone. Um, the first time I saw The Farewell and 
it's nothing, it's not the most mind-blowing original concept, right? But it's just the perfect, I don't know if you've all seen The Farewell. It's the perfect movie. It's just, it resonates. And look, I'm not, I'm not Chinese. I don't know that much about Chinese culture. Um, I didn't grow up in that world that the film was set in. Um, Completely detached from that, but it was done in such a way where there was a universality to it, right? And that's what, just to go full circle, what what were you talking about before, um, with, well, you know, these types of films don't sell or no one wants to see an all-black cast or no one wants wants to see an all-Korean cast. Uh, Sure they do. They just don't realize it. Yes, right? There's there's ways to make things universal that touch upon things that uh, might be out of your immediate mindset or your immediate um i don't want to say comfort zone but you know what you're familiar with right um but they're still going to resonate depending on uh those those universal themes and that universal I, feeling and I, and I, when you when you mentioned that matt that just reminded me so much of uh parasite mm. you know well, that's the, perfect yeah exactly yeah, too, and yeah. it's like and i and i've been a fan of that writer director for a long time you know mm-hmm. just from his first monster movies like i've i've been a writer die with that person for such a long sure. time and it's like Anything he puts out, I'm going to see it. I'll be the first weekend, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go see it. So when that came out, I remember people were just like, oh, I don't know if I want to see this film. I don't know. But I'm telling you, once you get into that story and that world, so good. it resonates. Yeah. I don't care what part of the world you come from. Sorry, I, I, have my, I just realized I hit my camera thing. I'm sitting here the whole time like, no one sees me. I'm right here. I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here listening to everybody snacking on my cookies. I'm like, why is my picture? <laughs> I realized my mermaid photo was up like, where is my picture? So, but you know, anybody, like even people that I recommended that to who were just like, they never watch anything, especially like international films. You sit there and it's such a unique voice, but at the same time, it's so universal. Everybody can relate to it. Mm -hmm. And people come out of that movie looking at the word a little differently. And those are those films. And it's, it's, really what you guys are touching on with everything in terms of screenwriting is it's that authentic voice that transcends no matter what story you're telling, there's something that grips you, you know, and when it's translated well on film, because <laughs> as, as we've discussed, there's certain things that, God damn it, it's an amazing script. And then once it gets to where yeah. it's going, it's like, it, that's where you have to look at it as a writer and be like, well, you know, it's like, like your children sometimes, sometimes your first baby you know, it does really well. And then that second woman, it goes off into the world. It, it, it's not quite what you, you thought it was going to be, but you still have feeling and you love it and it can still come to the cookout. You know what I mean? There's just certain things that <laughs> you just have to just deal with, you know? And, yeah. and, and every time there's a film that comes out like that, that authentic voice, uniqueness, that universal thing, like I said, anybody can watch it and you don't even have to be from that culture or that, that time period. It's that human experience that comes through throughout and you just right. you just automatically connect with that because it it's it's almost like you're in a dialogue with the film because it brings out something in your own humanity that you know it just makes you a better person. That, you know, just and I'm sure you all have films that you've seen where you could watch it a million times and even the first time you saw it, when you walked out of that theater, it's like the world was new. You know what I mean? There's certain films right. where there it'd be a, a fantastical journey or a drama or something. There's just something well, so, different uh, that okay, transforms so, you. Look, that, that's what I like about 
movies so much mm. like over television is that I don't think there's maybe three television series that I've watched, you know, that I've watched again after watch after watching it, and not watching the whole thing, but just watched episodes of it. Like I've watched like I've watched the first season of The Wire maybe twice, you know. Yeah. I've watched a yeah. couple episodes of this of the Shield a couple times, but I rarely do that because I kind of know what the story is. And someone was telling me one time, you know, how television, you know, like like. like a key to a a really good movie is that movie tells the story of the most important day in someone's life Mm. Mm. and then then conversely when you think about television show it tells you about all the days in between Mm. it's the the mundane nature of Mm. day in day out day in day out that we see these people that we get to know them Mm. but the thing about movies is, is that you're right is that you watch them over and over again because if if the movie resonates with you, it cost, then the movie can continue to bring back that feeling. Yes, that and the old the and the older time, the, and the older you get, then it, it, it means you, different something things. else comes. Oh man, like mm-hmm. you, I'm telling you, filmmakers, screenwriters, when you write when you write it, ugh. Go ahead, Chris. I'm eating my cookie. But I just found out last night that I never ever known before. There's a movie called. A woman, a gun, and a noodle shop. Have you heard of this movie? Mm-hmm. It's 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 done by uh, uh, Zhang Yimou, the hero in House of Flying Daggers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this movie, this movie, two thousand nine. He's already kind of a big star, a big filmmaker, all that. It's a remake of Blood Simple. Yeah, but it's set in like you know, but it's a Chinese period piece, and I was like, oh, that sounds like it'd be fucking awesome. Because yeah. he's taking a story that we know works and we know means something that has this resonance. Because that movie like, really, when you know, it, it's such a blueprint for the Coen Brothers' career. But he's able to take that story and go, "How do I make it Chinese?" But it'll still work with the rest of us because right. it works regardless of the culture. You know, I think that's right. what you're saying, right? Right. right. Did you guys? Are... Did you guys ever see Synecdoche? By, I haven't um... seen that. I haven't. I, I, by uh, coffee. Uh, Coffin. Coffin, yeah. I, I yeah. did. I, I'm... It's been a minute, yeah. Well, I was watching, there was a film festival in my town. Like, um, uh, James Seamus from Focus Features, like, always would give some great film for it, you know. Um, and my therapist always goes to the film festival. So, mm. like, we would be sitting, you know, different rows, wouldn't sit together. But in between films, we'd cut together and, like, talk about the films. So, Synecdoche is up there. And you could tell a lot of people in the audience were like, I just don't get it. <laughs> like, I just don't like, and she comes like dashing over to me and she goes, I bet you could really relate to that. <laughs> okay, like the most fucked up movie in the, at the festival. And my therapist is like, this is you, girl. <laughs> I, would, I would have been clutching my purse going, really? <laughs> she knew me. I could. I was like, I was probably. Well, I just picture her skipping up to you afterwards and okay. saying, it's you. It's you. <laughs> See you Monday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. Hey, Chief, do me a favor. Um, we were starting to talk about pipeline artists earlier. Can you explain for the writers listening, just for clarity, like a just like a little clip notes on here's what it is, here's how you could submit, you know, stuff like that. Oh, sure. Um, if you the website is pipelineartist.com, and um, there's a 
on the main menu, there's a contribute tab. So like if you click on that, um, at the top, it has a link to, to do a submission to query us. But what I like about the contribute tab is you see all of our contributors and little bios for all of them. We are, you know, we are very passionate about promoting the people who write for us. And, um, so all of our regular contributors are on there where you can link, go to their website and learn more about them. And because our, you know, we have a scout tab that we're, we're working on developing, you know, we really want, we want great content for people to consume, but we also would love it if our writers get discovered and get some sort of leg up because, you know, um, they're on this site. It's, uh, you know, it's basically just like we want people who write for us to ha- share a story that's really real and genuine and um, helpful to other people, um, not just this, you know, gratuitous diary entry, mm. you know, kind of thing, but something that, that you know, helps people say, I'm not alone in this, you know. Mm. We have mm. all these different, different, and how we've structured the site, which is probably one of the things I love the most about it, Um is like if you click on the read tab, you see all of our different categories. It's like creative mind and and um, crossover and, you know, for people crossing over genres, I mean, not genres, but mediums, you know, novel writing, screenwriting, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's not set up so that all the screenwriters go over here and all the filmmakers go over here and all that everyone is together. So... Mm-hmm. If, you know, the creative mind is all about the fucked upness of being an artist and, mm-hmm. you know, how it gets in your head and how you, you know, you have to not be your own worst enemy and not, you know, succumb to that, the mind, you know, jerk around of it. Like, you just got to just really embrace that as part of the process. You know, you're going to have insecure moments, how to handle rejection, you know, and one of my favorite writers for the site is um, <clears throat> Spike Scarberry, who... Um, oh, don't inflate his ego even more. I know, but <laughs> I love his shit. He's been like a reader forever. You know, he's worked in TV and reading he's features. And it's Matt's pseudo name, and we all know it. I no, wish. He's a much better reader than I am. <laughs> he's so good and so raw. Like, he wrote a, a, a piece about how, like, your script's not going to get stolen. Like, you know, like... Everybody calms all down, you know, and it's, and he says all the things that, you know, he wants writers to know, like the true reality of this business, you know, and I love that. Like I always say, like, basically the, I always feel like when I tell the writers, like when Matt and I, I mean, we had phone calls with every single one of them as Hilliard can attest to. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're always like, tell us what we, not what we want to hear but like the reader, but tell the reader what they need to hear, you know, and because you're not serving anybody by just patting everybody on the back, like just stay in the game. Like we're not selling hope. Right. Like right. we're just not selling hope. We're, we're selling reality. Selling hope. I love it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't want, uh, and again, there's a, there's a place for, for craft articles and, and things like that, but I didn't want to create a site where you're talking about the hero's journey and right. like, this is how to write a rom-com. It's a, com- a combination of romance and comedy. And like, I just, who's reading that in like comedy C, right? So to see, uh, like we all know like the basics. I, some people don't and that that content is, is relevant to them, but what's like the next level. 
only in that that level for like a month, right? What's the level after that? What do you what are you going to need to learn um, about how the industry works, about how publishing works? You know, what it's like to be a filmmaker and crowdfund and just the the honest nuts and bolts reality, rather than <clears throat> rather than having this. Uh, you know, this keyword filled article that's just like, it just exists to drive traffic. Right. right. Um, so, so yeah, any, we're obviously open to contrib- contributions uh, for article pitches, but also I really want to stress um, short stories as well. Uh, I would love to get more and more good short stories. And poems. And, and poems. comedy. We have comedy. And comedy. <laughs> All of it. All comedy. Of it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm yep. confused. Like, oh, you mean like, you mean like, comic bits or, or comic poetry or, or I mean, no, we have a, uh, both like well, there's a section, uh, on the repage dedicated toward, um, mainly toward standup, but also humor pieces as mm, well. Mm. So we had Eddie Pepitone write a piece. He's been around forever. Stand up comic veteran. Um, who's, he's just a wonderful maniac. He's so good. Um, you should see his standup special on, on Amazon, his latest one, but, uh, there's my plug for Eddie Pepitone. Uh, <laughs> he's welcome. Uh, but no, it's, it's stuff like that. And also interviews with stand-up comics and, and things like that. I, there's really no... It's like the site with... So you no could do horror, do sexual things or whatever that's on there? Say that again? <laughs> can, you do, oh, can you do horror and any, any kind of stories of anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like with right? short stories. I mean, we, we... You know, it's surprisingly hard to find good short stories and um you know like they say with screenwriting like two percent of the scripts you read or like it's kind of the same proportion for short stories like it's really hard we're very we're a little picky um but we really you know it i just want something bold and sorry not to cut you off we just want we just want something bold and and fresh and original and if you look at the fiction pieces that are up there um, one is just a really good short story. The other one, she sent like this. Just, when I opened the PDF, there's just like a big block of text with no like punctuation or like very minimal <laughs> punctuation. I'm like, yeah, right. Good luck. What's this girl thinking? Right. And I read it. Uh, I still read it, and I'm like, I think I like it. And then I read it again, <laughs> and I read it four times before I sent it to Gene. I'm like, uh, either this is really good, or I've just lost my touch entirely. <laughs> and we ended up putting it up liked there. It. Yeah. Because I felt something when I read it. That's funny. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Feel something, right? Yep. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's for people to get their writing voice out there. And like one of the things that I'd love to get enough fiction and poetry and short stories in that on the weekends, like my goal is to have enough of that content. So the weekends we just publish fiction. So it's like your, your, your mind can rest from the business side of the industry, the craft side of the industry, and you just consume art on the weekends, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, that's the goal, but, you know, we need people to Good submit man. really good short yeah. stories. <laughs> you know? okay. And we've gotten really good short stories this far. Yeah, that's, uh, we you have. Know, for the people listening who submitted and never heard back, like you're, you're fine. It's just, yeah. we're, we're, we're being overly picky. <laughs> so let me ask, so somebody submits to you guys, how long is it if you guys accept it before it comes out and how often do your, um, do your articles come out and stuff like that? We have um, two articles every day, um, mm-hmm. and so we're probably scheduled out into mid-May or something. Um, uh, 
with content so far. We've got we have a we're pretty fortunate. Like our we have about sixty contributors, regular contributors, and they're they are pumping pieces out, and we're really loving it. Um, and the fiction we're aiming right now just to you know promote to post something in fiction at least once a month. Like that's the goal. But if we could do it more frequently, we would love to do it more frequently. But once a month is a goal. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Lisa, yeah. And all our, well, I should, I should note to you really quick okay. that all our contributors are, are, of course, paid as well as the fiction yeah. ones that we yeah. publish. The actual yeah. pay writers. <laughs> yeah. I was shocked to learn when Jeannie told me that many publications don't. And, yeah. You know, I just, whatever. It's the whole other yeah. podcast. Yeah. And some of our and some of our content, like if we do a, a really in-depth interview, um, we'll have an artist do an original rendering of that person who we interviewed. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we really... Krista's you know, article so just, just came out has that, yeah. Yeah, so we're really trying to to promote all kinds of artists, you know. Um, I love it. And also, too, we have no ads on the site. Wow. Just saying. No. So the site I noticed that. I noticed super that. Clean, mm-hmm. super, it's all about the content. There's nothing to distract you from the content. Hmm. That's awesome. That's Any, awesome. Any questions yeah. to regarding this? You guys get it? It makes sense to you? Yeah. Lisa, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, it makes awesome. sense. Yeah. Cool. No, I well, had just popped I had popped over to their website because I was like, wait, there's a book component. I know I saw something on there. It's like, wait, let me go look. Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell me about that part, Jeannie. The about book, what? The book component. Of Pipeline Artists? Yes. Um, well we you know, we we're also, you know, putting content up from the publishing industry. You know, like I just did a big in-depth interview with Jane Friedman, who is just, she's the like expert in the publishing world and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and a friend of mine, she's awesome. And what I love about her is, you know, you, you meet Jane and she's like this, you know, you think this nerdy publishing type of, mm-hmm. you know, person. And she's so, just like we were talking about how with people's writing, they're really, what makes them special is when they're honest and raw. Like Jane is so forthcoming about everything. Like she even did a a session, she calls them Sunday sermons on Facebook. She has a Facebook live talking all about how much money she made the first year she went freelance, Mm. showed a pie chart, showed everything, totally transparent. And she wrote an essay in a book called the drinking diaries. And of course I, bought the book so I could read her essay, you know, I mean, where she's really just transparent about getting drunk in a, in a, in her dorm room with this guy, <laughs> like, just like, and that's the, those are the kind of people who are fun to interview because they, right. you know, just how you said in the beginning of this podcast, like we want to keep it real, like right. be honest about mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, you're not serving anybody by hiding and pretending everything's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. That yeah. serves no way. I, I think Lisa might have mentioned or might have met the um, the division sites too for book yeah, pipeline. Yeah, that was oh, good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, you have a yeah, lot just, of good stuff. Yeah, right? just to touch upon that. So so through scripts we're reviewing uh, screenplays and pilots, uh, helping those writers connect, uh, mostly with managers, production companies. Um, then through book pipeline, there's kind of two divisions, one for, for published books that we're looking at for um, originally we had launched it for uh, potential adaptations and getting those pitches out there and that's still a component of it but now we've kind of shifted them with the whole 
logistics of the industry and how the landscape has changed. But um, with those writers now, we're uh, with many of them, we're helping them develop a um, script version of that of that book. Um, and then on the other side of that is the unpublished division, which. Uh, uh, we're looking for stuff that we can send to lit agents and help writers uh, connect there uh, and also help them develop other other books in the future. So, um, and then film, which is we're looking for short scripts to uh, to finance or co-finance and, and co-produce and develop and, and short films and directors to uh, hook up with, with agents and stuff. So uh, and I, lots, of, I have, lots of different diff- yeah. different different arms there. You're throwing the and fishing net out wide. That's good. Yeah, yeah, and with the film stuff, the short films, I mean, I don't know how many times we've all seen short films that are just hideous, like, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but it's important for writers to make short films. I'm like a big believer of that. I don't care. If you have to make a few film. hideous short films if you're, you're not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, when I first came on, I remember it was like the film, the, the film contest was winding down and Matt sent me links to a bunch of the short films. I was mm-hmm. blown away. Like yeah. there's so much talent out there. Yeah. I was totally blown away. They're beautiful. Yeah. This that was a good year for uh for shorts. Um Grace Wee was the winner. She was really sort of <clears throat> heavy, just really intimate drama. And then um John Olsen, who did um he's a former NFL player. Uh, oh, I know. No. I know oh, do you? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a uh, runner up. He's short about the, uh, the the slavery things. Yeah, and you know, he mixed. He just kind of speaking of mixing genres. It just it, it all kind of came together with with that nice through line, and it just worked, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah I love uh, the structure different. of that one. He's yeah. um, was he, he's, I think he writes an all American right now. He might still be. I don't know if he's still on that. Um, but that's a great movie he did. That's a really mm-hmm. really good movie. Yep. Yeah. And he's he's gonna write for us on Pipeline Artists. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And one of our book finalists, um, which which contest did Liz? Um, was she, she in? She was an unpublished last season. Yeah, she's and unbelievable. Like our, our first short story was written by her, right? Yeah, Snow Girl Found. Yeah. So yeah. we're you know we're taking those people who are who are you know finalists in the contest and bringing them over to Pipeline Artists to give them an outlet. You know? And just to, just to cap cap it, really, that was the other big intent for me is to have that backdoor way to promote the writers and the filmmakers that we believe in, right? right. If, right. if this door is not working or if this route's not working, well, maybe someone will stumble upon an article yeah. or an industry person will read this from them, and then um, I can't say who yet, but it's already happened once, and it, it's mm. it might lead to something, you know? So. Yeah, it's all been really this, encouraging this morning. Now, this is why I wanted nice. to talk to you too, because the both of them write short stories, and you know, uh, Lisa's been published many times, mm-hmm. you know, and she can write her butt off. And specifically, yay, Lisa, and stuff like that, and sci-fi like that. Yeah. Type of thing. that's mm-hmm. why I was like, you need you need to meet Lisa because she went to a state school like me so we got a senior education (laughs) we got the best education what are you talking about everybody (laughs) there's like listen walking in the room's like yeah 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 (laughs) whatever (laughs) whatever we can blend it all right we do this we're doing this we're doing this (laughs) well well, thank you guys for coming on the show i appreciate it still a little out of it today from my damn rona shot so (laughs) just feel like ugh um but thank you guys again. Um, Jeannie, where can people follow you and also plug whatever you guys have out there so people can 
you know, go ahead and find it. And find oh, it, yes. Um, on Twitter, I am at GenieVB. V is in Victor, B is in Boy. And, um, and then uh, PipelineArtist.com. You can just go find us there and um, please submit. We would love to get some more stuff and, awesome. and pitch us some article ideas. And uh, for script, obviously, it's script pipeline, book pipeline on Twitter, Instagram, the site. Um, we also have our, our big uh, script pipeline deadline for screenplays and pilots on Saturday is the regular deadline. So um, if you have one of those said, said that are fresh and unique and you poured yourself onto the page, um, we're probably going to want to read that. <laughs> yes. And we will take care of you if you become a finalist. <laughs> yes. I want more big big spec sales and big just people happy with their lives. So, um, more stuff the better. Indeed. Excuse me. Where are you at, Chris Derrick? I'm at a Unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Lisa, Lisa, Colt Jam. Uh, what fresh hell is this? And you know it's me because of the Black Mermaid. So you know it's me. What the hell is that? And I am your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, fucking Clubhouse. <laughs> I haven't been on in like two weeks. So I've been, been good. Didn't they just change that over there? Because I feel like now they had they had it in beta and then they, they're not letting new people in yet. Oh, really? So anybody who's trying to sign on, you can't because they've they've got their little limit thing going on, and they're saying they'll open it up later. But a lot of people were trying to get on, and I didn't know. Yeah, all I know is when I came it's on, special. it was just under two million. Now I hear it's at ten or twelve. I don't yeah. know. What yeah. Um. Anyway, you can find me on that at at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show. Screenwriters are are on Twitter. Any questions? Screenwriters Rant Room at Gmail <clears throat> Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Whatever you guys listen to, Spotify, we're everywhere out there. What else, Chris? You can go to our website, which is screenwritersrr.com, and you can support the show via our Patreon link, which is on the homepage. Uh, and you can buy items on the on, on the web shop. Uh, there's some mugs. There's some T-shirts. There's that. There's that. Like. There's that, what's it called, um, from writer to showrunner, that, that right. document that, that Jeff Melvoin and people right. put out, that's this yeah. out-of-print out of thing from the WGA. There's a couple copies of those available. There are scans from the PDF. Um, yeah, yeah. Can, can, I, can, I, can I just say, I just have a small little quibble, a little bone to pick. I believe it's with, is it The New Yorker who just put out the, the best films, the best 100 films? Probably. Yeah, probably. The New Yorker. And I agree totally with their first one through six picks, but I just, my quibble is this Godfather one and two need to be higher than The French Connection and Rebecca. <laughs> so if you just switch those, I agree. It's Parasite, is Moonlight Parasite? And then I think it was like The French Connection, and then it was like Rebecca, and then it was Godfather one and two, and there's something else. So I totally agree. You just need to lift Godfather <laughs> one and two. <laughs> A little higher than the French Connection. <laughs> me, me and Lisa know, would get along perfectly. Like, listen, I know, wait, 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 it's, like, wait, I know wait, it's from the same era. It's like they're cinephiles. I just need you to bring Rebecca <laughs> down just a little bit, like below the both of them. Like I can quibble between two and French Connection in between. We can make a little love sandwich in between there. But I'm just saying, you know, for my full respect. Now I saw the rest of the list. I didn't care as long as I saw my Godfather and Parasite and Moonlight somewhere up in the top ten. I was going to be happy. And I am very pleased, but I'm just saying the French Connection and Rebecca, they just need to switch places and then we can work it out. Wait, they're talking about the Hitchcock, Rebecca? Huh? 
I believe so. Mm-hmm. And, 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 right. and, yes. and, and, and yes. people, are putting, people are putting Moonlight in the same category yep. as... Fan, listen, it was for the last 40 years because it would have been some other films, I would have said, but it was just for the last... Yeah, well, so last 50 right. years they're talking about Godfather because that's coming up. Well, yeah, I take that back. It was like it was something where I said we'd jump in, but there was, I think it was the 40 year. No, I think that was in another list. It might have been another one. But there was some list that came out and I saw it and I think it was like, it was Parasite was number one, no, Moonlight. And then I think it was Parasite. No, Parasite and then Moonlight. It was one of those. And then I saw The French Connection, Rebecca, and then Godfather 1 and 2. And I was like, mm. I don't even know if I'm putting mm-hmm. Parasite and... Yeah, it was and, the last 50 years. No, it was the last 50 years. The I'm, not other sure time, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm putting... The other one was 40. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not putting Parasite and Moonlight in the number one and number two films in the last 50 and, years. And, and you know what? That you need to really go and rethink your life. <laughs> in the last 50 years. You go, uh. go rethink your life and then come back and we can talk about uh. it. Put, go back and rethink your life. I'm going to put In the Mood for Love above both of those. Well, I don't think In the Mood for Love was in there because it didn't win. It, these are all Best Picture winners. Oh, Best ah, Picture. Okay, best sorry, I, sorry oh, I didn't oh, clarify. Okay. My bad, my bad. Okay. All right, oh. I, take, I take that comment back. I take that comment back. <laughs> I thought you were talking about... You no, no, no. I'm just saying... No, was like best best films films yes. Yes. Oh, sorry about that. It was years? Best Film. Um, yes. I will take back that next comment, but let me let me just make sure... Let, say, well, say what you're okay. going to say. Hold on, hold on, hold on. called the rant room, by the way. Say what you're going to say. Because Hold on, let me get my glow in the dark Westworld stab you in the side. Yeah. 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 Look, look what, yeah. what was definitely above French Connection is Amadeus. Amadeus is way above all those movies. I quibbled with that, but then I came to my senses and I said, you know what, Lisa, what, what would Hitchcock do? <laughs> and, and Hitchcock send the birds. <laughs> And the birds ain't even up there because they didn't win nothing. So fuck all y'all. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying for best picture, I don't know. Amadeus, it's it's and and the strange thing about this, I will say that I think they had Amadeus really low. Go look at that list. It, they, they had it's, Amadeus. It's, look, look, it's a shitty list because the reason why Amadeus, I was telling someone this the other day. About I, listen, I know the list ain't great. No, because a lot of people off the rip because this is this is why Amadeus is a great movie. That's a movie that is it's it's one of the the only movies that's a period piece that is not about fucking royals or aristocrats or shit like that. It's a movie about jealousy, mm-hmm. envy, and fucking pursuit yeah, for art, then, and, pers- then it, then and, and the pursuit for artistic perfect the pursuit for artistic perfection. Then it and that's so perfection. relevant to our lives even yeah. now. Even yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And and for uh, it not to be and for it to be maybe dismissed because it's a it's a costume drama. I'm just bullshit. saying this this is their list. Now, if it was my list, it'd be totally different. I would agree. I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm saying for what they had in their top six, I was like, okay, I can I can live with that. You just need to list some things. But right. all right, all right. You gonna make right. me go watch I'm a dance. I'm gonna sit here and be like, silly Harry, you I, I feel your pain, dude. I feel your pain. I would have stabbed him and killed him and poisoned him too. But you can't do that because the music. The music. <laughs> like I understand you want to take a dude out. I, I was there. I, the villain, I feel it. Cause sometimes there's some people like, God damn, you're too good. And you can't live. You can't live. But you gotta let the music and the talent go. You gotta let that go. Y'all gonna make me watch that. I'm to make some like old French food and sit back and <laughs> take my wine and be like, oh man, this movie is amazing. Yeah, anyway, I won't, go I won't mention my controversial number one pick, so I'll <laughs> talk about it later. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. I won't, well, stab you you, I, won't, I won't stab you, Matt, because you're a guest. 
But the next time you come, <laughs> the next time you come on the show, you better have it together. <laughs> Be ready. Be ready. Well, I just want to say thank you again, Jeannie and Matt, for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. Um, Thanks for having us. Um, oh, if you guys could just hold on for like maybe five minutes after yeah. the two of you. Yeah, sure. I want to t- once we hang up, uh, we'll let them go and we'll just talk for a second. And sure. then um, I was going to say, so, oh, happy Oscar Day to those people who are watching it. Uh, hopefully, Chad Chadwick Boseman to get his Oscar, you know, mm. and my girl Viola. Bring me some clothes, man. Bring me some color. Bring me some <laughs> style. I'm tired of these old, tired-looking tuxedos. Bring me some. <laughs> bring some flair, Jesus. <laughs> um. Anyway, stuff like that. This is dropping tomorrow, so just so you know. So would we'll be right right out there tomorrow. Um. So please blast it and tweet it and post it and mm-hmm. all that shit, well, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, again, thank you guys for coming on the show. Everybody join yes. me for yes. Conda Forever. Mm. You guys know how we do it on the rant room. Mm. On the show, we keep it real. Yes. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody was Conda, Conda Forever. forever. <laughs> ciao, ciao. Till Bye, next everyone. week. See you, people. Ciao, ciao. I'm say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the rant room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd Has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by the Tyrota Finish Line Social Impact Script Competition. It's back for a second year in a row. The competition will again celebrate film and television scripts that seek to raise awareness and inspire change regarding urgent issues with critical relevance across our society now, such as racial, gender, or economic inequality, climate change, drug addiction, the broken foster care system, gun violence, and much more. The competition especially encourages submissions from historically underrepresented writers. The Tyrota Finish Line Script Competition runs from January 18th through June 10th. Please go to Film Freeway and learn how to submit your script.